According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me one more time in Proverbs 22. I expect we'll be wrapping up the chapter here this morning. As we're looking at verses 28 and 29. Last week we talked about do not guarantee debts in verses 26 and 27. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. And then if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? And this is the consequences. When you're paying somebody else's consequences for their choices, why are you doing that? It really defies the law of sowing and reaping. If uh, somebody else has done the sowing, then they should be doing the reaping. If, uh, if they're making the dumb choices, they should face those consequences. And I'm going to underwrite that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay that price for, for their uh, failure to use God's wisdom. Why would I do that? Seems like I'm not using God's wisdom at that point, and I'm becoming a partaker in the uh, in the things of darkness. So, anyway, that's uh, what we deal with there. Verses 28 and 29: Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. That's uh, an issue we'll have to deal with. Stands by itself. And then verse 29: Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. All right, before we get started this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time in the truth. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word and the privilege and blessing we have this morning to assemble together. We call upon Your faithfulness, Father, to open the eyes of our understanding, to bless our time of study. Thank you, Father, for the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit and blessing us in the church age with the permanent indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we call upon that faithfulness once again. Open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts. We thank you and we praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we come to... And we have to get down near the bottom of our slideshow to find where we are. Let's get to, yeah, this is what we were dealing with last week. Point eight in the outline was words of the wise. Number three, do not guarantee debts. And as we've been working our way through, starting, um, backing up to, uh, to verse 22, most of these words of the wise have been two verses long, right? Words of the wise, number one was, was uh, verses 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he's poor. Crush the afflicted at the gate. That's the do not, those are the two do not statements. And then the explanation is given for the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. So the prohibitions are listed and then an additional explanation is given. Likewise, words of the wise number two is also two verses. Verses 24 and 25 do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot tempered man. So a couple of more do nots couple more prohibitions that are given. And then an explanation, an, an additional uh, description is given in verse 25. Or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. Okay? And that's, it really sets this apart. This text is, is, is not the same as the Decalogue. It's not the same as the Ten Commandments. We don't have, you know, thou shalt not steal 
because, or, or if you do, or any other additional description that's given. That's not the purpose for the, the Ten Commandments. It's not the purpose for law. But it is given here under principles of wisdom. And in, in this uh, format, at least, uh, we, have, we tend to have the two verses each, each uh, issue here giving that additional explanation. All right, then we get to words of the wise number three, and again, it's two verses long. It's verses 26 and 27. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debt. And then there's the additional information given. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take your bed from under you? So again, there's the do nots and then additional uh, exhortation or, or descriptions that show you why it's just dumb. It's just dumb to, uh, to do these things. All right. And so last week we talked about this, how this principle has been repeatedly stressed throughout the book of Proverbs, starting in chapter 6, starting in childhood, starting with the parental wisdom applications as they're given there. Proverbs 6, Proverbs 11, Proverbs 17, Proverbs 20, and now we're getting it here in Proverbs 22, verses 26 and 27. And don't be shocked if we hit it one more time before we're done with uh, the book of Proverbs. We went to the book of Job, and then we also talked about why um, being a, a guarantor in a creditor kind of sense really removes the possibility to to show grace, to be a grace provider, and uh, ruining the possibility of providing via grace. And and uh, you know my my rule of thumb is let's do the grace thing. <laughs> you know, well, what would grace do? That's uh, that seems to be better than uh, let's try to manipulate things financially here and, and try to get an unsecured loan secured through some some uh, people that can be gullibly talked into buying into this shady investment thing. Let's, uh, let's just function under grace principles and not, uh, not be unequally yoked with this, with this uh, scheme and what they're doing. Anyway, so Luke 10 and uh, Philemon verses 18 and 19. And kind of neat to get a Philemon tie-in as well with the book of Proverbs since that's where we are on Sundays and Wednesdays dealing with the book of Philemon. All right, so now we get to the final two words of the wise in this chapter. Words of the wise number four and words of the wise number five, but we're not done because it's going to cross over into chapter 23. It's going to keep on going into chapter 24. There's 30 of these altogether. 30 and then plus a bonus uh, of additional sayings that are given after the 30 are, uh, are finished. But we notice right away, verse 28 stands by itself. And verse 29 stands by itself. So we're kind of breaking the pattern that we've grown accustomed to for the first three where there were two verses for each one. Uh, Words of the wise number four just has a single verse all by its lonesome. And uh, words of the wise number five again has a single verse all by its lonesome as, uh, as we see it there in verse 29. Okay? So we'll tackle those here today. Words of the wise number four, do not move the ancient boundary. Do not move the ancient boundary, which your fathers have set. And talking about your fathers, talking about the tribal uh, ancestors, talking about really the, uh, the role of, uh, of the land distribution that took place when Joshua conquered the land and when the land was divided and when the, the tribal allotments were given, when the clan uh, allotments were given, when the family allotments were given, subdividing the, the tribal allotments. All of this becomes fundamental to Israel's existence as a covenant nation. That their land grants, their boundaries, their, 
their ownership of the land was connected with their position as a covenant nation before the Lord. Okay? And that's what I want to stress first. And then we can start talking about other issues as it relates to uh, theft and fraud and, and stealing and whatnot. And if you, you know, if you move your neighbor's fence over five feet, then, then you get a bigger yard and they got a smaller yard. And, and, uh, and, and that's one way to steal. You know, by fraud, you can move those things and, uh, and claim land that you never purchased, land that you're not entitled to land that rightfully belongs to somebody else. So yes, there's a, there's a, a theft principle that, that is included in this text. I don't want to start with that though. I want to start with a recognition that boundaries are God's business. And this is true between nations, this is true between tribes, this is true between clans, this is true between families, individual households, and uh, the, uh, the homes that God has entrusted to us. So as we deal with it there, that's what we're going to be looking at. All right. So we start with land fraud. Land fraud is mentioned as early as Job. So it's, it's a principle that's older than the law. And when the law encodifies it, it's taking something that existed prior to the law and it's incorporating it within Israel's position as the covenant nation before the Lord. Okay? Stay tuned for that because on Sunday we're going to be talking about the Sabbath and we're going to be talking about um, clean versus unclean animals. Okay? Noah had to separate clean versus unclean animals when he was getting the animals ready to put on the ark. There's a clean versus unclean distinction for Noah and Noah is not under the Mosaic law. Noah is, this is centuries before Mosaic law. So there are principles of law that the Gentiles operated under that are adapted for Israel's application when Moses brings them out of Egypt and, and uh, gives them the law. So we'll be talking about that as well. All right, land fraud is mentioned as early as Job. So let's take a look at Job 24.2. It's condemned in the law and it's observed by the prophet Hosea. It became a uh, particular issue in the closing days of the um, northern kingdom of Israel. We'll talk about that in connection with Hosea 5.10. But starting with Job, I tend to peg Job two generations pre-Abraham. Okay, That's just my ballpark. Uh, not really a peer with Abraham's father, but maybe a peer with Abraham's grandfather, just based upon his age and how long he lives uh, from the front of the book to the end of the book. That uh, Shem is still alive, that uh, the the flood is is just in recent memory as far as uh, Job and his friends are concerned. So uh, Job 24, why are times not stored up by the Almighty? And why do those who know him not see his days? In other words, a believer with divine viewpoint looks around this fallen world and says, I don't like this. <laughs> These unbelievers uh, are getting away with murder and God's not doing anything about it. Why doesn't God stop it? Times are not stored up by the Almighty. Why is the Almighty slipping? He's, uh, he seems to be dropping the ball here. Why do those who know him not see his days? Some remove the landmarks. They seize and devour flocks. They drive away the donkeys of the orphans. They take the widow's ox for a pledge. I mean, this is just horrible. Culture is just broken down and, and the, uh, the, the people in the community are victimizing those that they can victimize and they seem to be getting away with it. They push the needy aside from the road. The poor of the land are made to hide themselves altogether. 
Behold, as the wild donkeys in the wilderness, they go forth seeking food in their activity as bread for their children in the desert. Anyway, it goes on. There's a longer description on this. They spend the night naked without clothing. They have no covering against the cold. I mean, this is just horrible. Snatching the orphan from the breast against the poor, they take a pledge. Anyway, all is not uh, well in the land of us. (laughs) And Job is looking at this and he he wants to know um, and in some of this, how much of this is is true? How much of this is he exaggerating? How much of this is... uh, We don't know. We know that the Holy Spirit is accurately recording uh, the, the words that Job is spouting, but the words that Job is spouting are impacted by the tremendous grief that he's undergoing and his, his personal loss and his blame of God for being unfair. That the Almighty has uh, totally lost control over the affairs of, of humanity. And so, um, you know, chapters like this are, are why when God finally starts speaking and rebukes Job at the end of the book, he calls Job the fault finder. Is that, you know, that you're putting yourself in my shoes and, and you're not in a position to do that. He calls Job the fault finder related to these things. In any event, Job thinks he's going to be a better God than God and, and uh, <laughs> God says, oh no, you can't. And that's the whole conclusion when that rebuke comes at the end of the book. All right. But just pinpointing for this morning's purposes with a connection to uh, Proverbs 22 related to moving the ancient boundary, we see it here. Some remove the landmarks. And by removing the landmarks, by moving the property boundaries, by um, altering things, you, uh, you could effectively steal it. And that's uh, part of what's happening there. Then, this practice is condemned in the law. Deuteronomy 19.14 You shall not, and I think we can just, yeah, pick up on this. There's other things about shedding blood and other things that precede that. You shall not pity him. This is interesting too. The elders of a city shall send and take him from there and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. The blood avenger, okay? And uh, same vocabulary if you ever want to study kinsman redeemer. Blood avenger, Okay? that he may die. You shall not pity him. You know, there's a place for pity. This isn't it. it uh, the government bears the sword and uh, it needs to exercise that justice appropriately. You shall not pity him, but you shall purge the blood of the innocent from Israel that it may go well with you. You've got to protect the nation. And so uh, that's the nature of that. All right. And then we get to landmarks. Verse 14. You shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark, which the ancestors have set. There it is again, the ancestors, or as Proverbs says, the fathers, okay? The forefathers, the ancestors. We're going back. How many generations going back? All right? However many generations they're going back, they're going back to Joshua. They're going back to the the division of the land. They're going back to the covenant, to the blessings that God has given Israel, which the ancestors have set. In your inheritance, notice that connection, the land boundaries are connected to this inheritance. In your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. So every time Israel was functioning in the Old Testament, functioning biblically, functioning by faith, 
and enjoying the present blessings of the land. They were doing so with the recognition that they were recipients of God's covenant promises and that there was a future blessing on the way. That the ultimate blessing was still future. Okay? Because Messiah is still coming. That the seed of Abraham promise is still future. That the millennial blessings are still future. Okay? And then by the time you get to Isaiah and Jeremiah, now you're being, um, you have the additional information of knowing that there's a new covenant on the way. That when the king comes and sits on the throne of David, he's going to be the mediator of a new covenant. Because this Levitical one has been broken again and again and again and again and again. Okay? Been horribly transgressed. And so all of this then becomes connected. So you see it's a bigger deal than just property fraud or land theft or something of that nature in, in, in a secular application. It centers on their very existence as descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the recipients of land, seed, and blessing. The, full, the fulfillment of that Abrahamic covenant that belongs to the Jewish people. So you shall not move your neighbor's boundary mark which the ancestors have set in your inheritance which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God gives you to possess. And there you have it. It goes on to talk about other issues as well. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity. You've got to have the two or three witnesses to uh, confirm. And if there's a malicious witness who's lying about it, because trust me, this world is full of liars and they will use uh, lying judges and perverted court systems to get what they want. God sees through that and the God of justice will hold them accountable. Let's go to Deuteronomy 27.17. This is part of the rehearsals. They had six tribes on one mountain, six tribes on another mountain, and they rehearsed back and forth the blessings and the cursings. You talk about without excuse, the, the Jewish nation who boastfully said you know, that they were going to obey the law, that all the Lord has spoken we will do. Um, man, okay? So cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Right? All God's children said, Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, or widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. All right. There's other issues there as well, but we'll let that go. By the time you get to the destruction of the northern kingdom and you have the prophet Hosea. And, uh, and it's curious. because both the, you know, the northern kingdom is about to be swept away, but the southern kingdom is honestly not any better. They, they, they linger another 150 years. At least they have some on again, off again, good kings versus bad kings. In, uh, in the north they're all wicked. All right. Do I want to read all ten of these verses? Hear this, O priest. Give heed, O house of Israel. Listen, O house of the king. For the judgment applies to you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread out on Tabor. The revolters have gone deep in depravity, but I will chasten all of them. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel has defiled itself. So whatever you think you're getting away with, you're not get away with it. He sees it. He knew about it from eternity past. He sees it now that you're doing it. You're not, uh, he's, you're not escaping his notice. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God, 
for a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know the Lord. A spirit of harlotry. These are the kind of phrases I think the Pentecostals take great advantage of, and I think they abuse them. They twist them. They, may, they force them to say things far beyond what they actually do say. That being said, this is legitimate. This is a biblical expression, a spirit of harlotry, and it has a community impact. And so that's a real thing. There is such a thing as a spirit of harlotry. And uh, without going into the abuses of, of the, the Pentecostals, I think we ought to at least be biblically aware of it and then be mindful of our own nation and uh, the things that our culture seems to uh, celebrate. All right. A spirit of harlotry is with them and they do not know the Lord. Moreover, the pride of Israel testifies against him. So if you thought it's already bad through the first four verses, it's, he's just getting started. Okay. Moreover, pride. The pride of Israel testifies against him, and Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also has stumbled with them. All right, so this is what happens. And you end up with you know, corruption and it spreads. This is why you don't want to be unequally yoked. That's why you don't want to go after that man of anger. You start walking with him and now you're, you're stumbling right with him too. Judah also has stumbled with them. They will go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. So Judah thinks they can, you know, they can have a little bit of harlotry with Israel. That's not so bad because they're also going to they're, they're also going to seek the Lord, you know, because hey, we got the temple in Jerusalem and we can No, you can't. You can't do both. You can't be worldly with Israel and then go running back to Jerusalem acting like, "Oh, oh, well, we have the Lord as well." They're not going to find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, they have borne illegitimate children. They have borne illegitimate children, strange children. Now the new moon will devour them with the land. And this is, uh, this is significant, and this is where, again, our culture has just totally lost it. Our culture doesn't even blink at, at, at illegitimacy. Our, our culture doesn't even, you know, uh, the idea of, of somebody being a bastard is used to be a stigma, used to be acknowledged as unbiblical and problematic and damaging to a culture. All right? Not anymore. Not anymore. Now everything is celebrated. Everything is marvelous and wonderful and hunky-dory. And, and uh, most people don't even bother to get married these days. They just start having their babies and then if they decide later on to get married after the fact, well, all right. Anyway. I'm still headed for verse 10. Haven't gotten lost. <laughs> Blow the horn in Gibeah. Okay, maybe I momentarily got lost. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound an alarm at beth Aven. Behind you, Benjamin. Ephraim will become a desolation in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel, I declare what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move a boundary. On them I will pour out my wrath like water. All right, so these two judgments are going on and it's um, some of it's looking to the north addressing Ephraim, some of it's looking to the south dealing with Judah. Both are being addressed here. The princes of Judah have become like those who move a boundary. And this is what ties it in with, with where we are in Proverbs 22. The moving of the boundary, the complete disregard of the plan of God for Israel as a covenant nation. The complete disregard of spiritual truth. Absolutely living in open um, just basically ignorance, willful ignorance. 
saying, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm doing what I'm doing. And if that's how the government operates, we're in trouble. Okay? Israel's in trouble. America's in trouble. Right? Now we're not a theocracy and we don't, we don't uh, but our Declaration of Independence and our, our Constitution were clearly written from a biblical worldview consistent with the biblical principles of what is pleasing in the sight of God and what is not pleasing in the sight of God. All right, so if we're going to ignore God's standard of righteousness and justice, if we're going to ignore God's design of male and female, He created them, if we're going to ignore God's laws of divine establishment for personal volition, marriage, family, and nationalism, then don't be shocked when, uh, when, when the, the government that ignores all those things faces the consequences that God assigns. Don't be shocked. All right. Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to follow man's command. Therefore, I'm like a moth to Ephraim, like rottenness to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jareb, but he is unable to heal you or to cure you of your wound. You know, at least Judah might be able to learn from that mistake, but they don't. So Assyria takes the northern kingdom away, and then 150 years later, uh, Babylon takes the southern kingdom away. All right. Well, this is the background then for the command that's uh, given in Proverbs. But understand, this particular form of theft, it's kind of like... um, you know, we, when we talked earlier about not, um, not uh, uh, robbing the poor, okay? And we said then, thou shalt not steal is universal. That con- you know, so, I mean, that's the overall umbrella. That's the overall issue. We're not, we shouldn't be thieves. Thou shalt not steal. But when Proverbs then, when wisdom then starts to give us particular applications like not robbing the poor... Now we realize there's other principles that are being brought into focus and we should be learning these, okay? Same thing with land fraud. It's just another form of theft. You could put it under that umbrella of thou shalt not steal and just be done with it and say, okay. But that's not what God's doing here. He, he gives us the big umbrella of thou shalt not steal, but now he's also given us these particulars and showing us how in these particulars we are defying so much more than just simply stealing, okay? This particular form of theft is a perversion of the inheritance principles within God's covenant promises of land, seed, and blessing. This particular form of theft is a perversion of the inheritance principles within God's covenant promises of land, seed, and blessing. This is why I think it's so vital. I'm glad we're in a Genesis series. I'm glad that we're going to be in the Genesis series uh, after through the Bible is over. That when we wrap up through the Bible and we get back to Genesis again, uh, that we're going to just keep on going through into the Abrahamic covenant. I think it's fundamental to all of Scripture is understanding the Abrahamic covenant. And uh, so let's look at it. Genesis 12. This is after we end up with all these uh, genealogies and the family life of Abram and his call to leave Ur of the Chaldees and all of this. All right. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. It's not leaving father's house is, is not just you know moving out of a of a structure, you know, getting married and getting a place of your own. Your father's house. He is no longer going to identify as a Chaldean, as uh, as a member of that larger house, clan, tribe, nation. He's now being called to birth a new nation. From your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. What is a nation? What is a a great nation? A small nation? Just any old kind of nation. But we're going to study the difference between families and clans and tribes and nations. And how nations are the the group that God has structured with land boundaries and grants and, and, and languages after Babel. And I will bless you. Here's the blessing. And make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Okay? And this, I pay attention to this. This is a principle. This applies eternally. This applies across any dispensation. Blessing the Jewish people results in blessing. Cursing the Jewish people results in cursing. <laughs> so, if, if, uh, if you want to renege on a deal that, that hurts France and France is mad at you because they ate submarines, all right. And that's one thing. You can make France mad at you and, and whatever. And a nation that has another nation mad at them faces the kind of consequences that nations face. Okay? At least it's only France. <laughs> but and I'm not poking fun of France. Well, yeah, I am. But the fact is, France does not have covenant promises that God is not indebted, God is not obligated to himself, to his own covenant promises. God has never sworn that he would bless those who bless France and curse those who curse France. You understand the difference? So if our nation horribly betrays France, well then, you know, because we're cutting a better deal with, with Australia or whatever else is going on, um, we're doing what we're doing and, and our nation will face consequences on the world stage. But we're not going to get divine judgment for betraying France. If we betray Israel, that's a different animal. Okay? If we curse the Jewish people, that's a different animal. So I'll bless those who bless you, the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families, notice, families. And so we never get away from families even though we, we, we go up to clans and tribes and, and uh, nations. It still comes down to families. That's vital, okay? And, and we've got to keep these things in. That's why I'm, I'm thrilled that we're in Genesis. I'm thrilled that we can start to structure the, the laws of divine establishment. I think Colonel Thiem did a marvelous job with it. I want to I wanna build on, on what he did with it and, and really flesh it out in a, in, a, in a comprehensive way. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And this is, this is the promise. Notice in, there's no conditions assigned There's no if you do this, then that, if this, then that. This is just I will. The covenant, absolute covenant language of I will. It's an unconditional covenant grounded in the integrity of God. This is what God intends to do. 
And then when it comes time to ratify it with an animal sacrifice, God puts Abraham to sleep so that God can walk through as the sole guarantor of, of, this, of this contract. I think it's the father and the son there, but we'll talk about that when we get to, get to that chapter. So land, seed, and blessing. This is all right here. Land, seed, and blessing. And these are the principles of the Abrahamic covenant. If you want to study it more, study it in those terms, land, seed, and blessing, then you'll be able to understand that the land component gets further expansions uh, later in Deuteronomy. The seed component, of course, has expansions in the Davidic covenant. The seed of Abraham is the seed of David, the king that's entitled to that throne. And then the uh, the blessing is going to get expanded in the new covenant of Jeremiah 31. And so land, seed, and blessing have further expansions with additional covenants that get given later. Now, this principle is going to be repeated again. In fact, it's going to be combined with words of the wise number one when we get to words of the wise number ten. So here's a preview for you. I got tired of typing words of the wise, so I just abbreviated WOTWA. W-O-T-W. And so right now we're looking at words of the wise number four. And this is going to be repeated again when we get to words of the wise number 10, but it really kind of blends one and four together when we look at Proverbs 23.10. Do not move the ancient boundary or go into the fields of the fatherless. Remember in, in words of the wise number one, they were victimizing the fatherless. For their redeemer is strong, he will plead their case against you. Remember we saw that in words of the wise, number one, that the father was their defender. That if you want to victimize the poor, if you want to rob the poor because he's poor, crush the afflicted at the gate, the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. God is their defender in those cases. So we'll we'll touch upon this again when we get into chapter 23 and verse 10. And we'll see, it really kind of forms a nice hybrid between the, the concepts from words of the wise, number one, and the concepts of word words of the wise, number four. All right. Let's look at verse 29. Observe the opposite of obscurity. Oh, oh, oh. Observe the opposite of obscurity. And um, I love this. I, I think there's a lot here that we can glean. Spiritual principles that apply in Zoe life as well as secular principles that apply in bios life. Do you see a man skilled in his work? Do you see a man skilled in his work? So you, you, whatever that work happens to be, this passage is not specific, but you see, you see a guitar player that's good at it, okay? You see a truck driver that's good at it. You see a, you know, whatever, a ditch digger. Is he good at it? <laughs> you know? It's uh, what's more embarrassing, to be a ditch digger or to be a crummy ditch digger, (laughs) okay? I mean, whatever it is you're called to do, whatever it is your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. As you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So a man skilled in his work, whatever he is. Is he a doctor? I want him to be a good doctor. I want him to be skilled. Is he a lawyer? They can get saved sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> okay? I want them to be skilled in their work. 
Is he a pastor? I want him to be skilled in his work. Whatever his vocation is, wherever God has placed him, be skilled in it. And the word for skilled is swift. Okay? Speedy. And so I think this is interesting. All right. The speedy man. He will stand before kings. Well, what does that mean? He will not stand before obscure men. There's principles here. The the better you are, the the higher prices you command. Okay? The better you are. And when when you're the best, and everybody knows you're the best, who uh, who's interested in your services? Everybody. <laughs> okay? Everybody's interested in your services. And can you honestly can you serve everybody? No, you don't have time to serve everybody. And so if, if everybody's interested in your services and you can't serve everybody, how do you, how do you limit the scope of, of who you're working for? Well, obviously your, your prices go up because you're worth it. Because you're worth it. So you charge a higher fee. Okay? This is just, this is not... This is, um, this is common sense, but this is divine wisdom in, in secular life. Divine wisdom in secular life. When you are skilled at what you do, you command a higher price. All right, so we'll talk about this as well. We have illustrations with uh, the building of this building. They, when, when, we, when, when the Lord blessed us to put this building up in 20, uh, 2009, 2010, as we were building this building, because we sold the old place and we had cash in hand from that sale. And so then we start shopping around and, and it's good to be shopping around when you have cash in hand because, you know, you can choose where you're, where you're spreading that cash. And then there was a market downturn, you might remember, huge market downturn. And the price of steel dropped, the price of a bunch of stuff dropped. And then there's an unemployment issue. And then, so we had a contractor and he was loving it. And he was talking about some of the subcontractors, the electricians, the people that he got to come in and and do some of the wiring and the plumbing and different things. And he just flat out said, he said, man, this is great. He says, you guys are getting, I'm hiring subcontractors. He says, these are guys I don't normally work with. He says, typically, I can't, I, usually I can't afford these guys. These guys are great. But we're, we're getting them, and they're, they're, taking, the, they're taking the gig for the, for the money that, that is in your budget, <laughs> okay? Because his budget was our budget that, you know, rolls downhill. And uh, he says, this is, this is amazing. And, and all, we, we listened to those stories, and we started, every time we got a story like that, it was just, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord that the steel was cheaper than it had been, that the contractors were cheaper than they'd ever been, that all the other prices had been, that, you know, just the timing was just marvelous. And did we have the wisdom to do all that? Did we know what we were doing? It was just very fortunate, you know, Calvinist luck. No, it's the sovereignty of God, okay? That He led us each step of the way. Each step of the way. All right. So, the Mahir man. This is what we're talking about, Mahir. The Hebrew uh, adjective, Mahir. 
It's only used four times. Mahir. The Mahir man. That's the man that we have here in Proverbs 22, 29. He is skilled, ready, prompt. There's other ways to address this. In this, in this verse, he's skilled. Translated skilled. Skilled in his work. But what makes him skilled? And, and how is that skilled expressed? The, the fundamental concept is, is he's so good at what he does, he, he, he does it in half the time and, and does it twice as better as the other guy. The other guy takes twice as long and does half as good. But this guy is so skilled, he's speedy. Let's look at Mahir. 4106, M-A-H-I-Y-R, number 4106. It only has those four uses. Ezra 7-6. We're reading Ezra right now in the, in the Bible reading. We're going through the, the post-captivity era and the book of Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, the closing of the Old Testament. So Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, skilled, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord God was upon him. So you see why this is both spiritual life and secular life? This is both Zoe and Bios. He is skilled. He's a, scri- he's a skilled scribe. He's a ready writer. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's ready. He's skilled. He's speedy. He's good, he's good at what he does. Why? Oh, because, well, you know, he's smart, he went to the right schools, he's, 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 don't, don't, don't claim he's a self-made man, okay? The hand of God, the Lord, his God, was upon him. God is equipping him, he's training him, he's preparing him, he's suiting him. He, God is, is forging Ezra into the tool that he needs to be, and he's very good at it. If Ezra is an awesome tool, it's because God has made him to be an awesome tool. And he needs to be. Because not only is he leading a wave of returnees back from, from Persia back to Jerusalem, but he's also comprehensively taking the Hebrew canon of Scripture and he's structuring it in the way that he does. I mean, this is a, this is a pivotal era in Old Testament canonicity as they're taking the older manuscripts and they're copying them into the, into the new script that they adopted in Babylon, the Aramaic square script that they adopted in Babylon. And all the Torah scrolls and all of the other uh, things of the Scripture have to be compiled. The, the 150 Psalms have to be put in the five books of Psalms. The, the Proverbs have to be structured in the order that we have them today. Ezra was the scribe that was at the forefront of this Old Testament canonicity. All right. And um, this is the example of Ezra. He's a skilled <coughs> scribe, okay? So just like we want skilled carpenters and skilled plumbers and skilled truck drivers and skilled everything, in every career pursuit, we want skilled pastors. We want skilled scribes. We want skilled um, Ministers of the Word of God. Psalm 45, 1. <clears throat> Psalm 45, a masculine of the sons of Korah. 
My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. That's the mahir. Skilled, ready, speedy, quick to jump on it. Okay? That's the, uh, that's the, the, the principle behind this skillfulness. This man is trained, he's equipped, he's ready to go. Um, the king's getting married? Wow, let me write a song. <laughs> okay? That's the nature of, you know, just a, a musician will do that. There's just some event going on and wow, I gotta put that to music. Let's, let's you know, my, the pen of a ready writer. That readiness. And he launches right into it. You're fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in, the spl- in your splendor and your majesty. Isaiah 16, 9, the other use. We've already read Proverbs 22, 29. Ooh, that's not it. All right. Skilled. Here is my hair. Sixteen five. Sixteen five. Here we go. Send the tribute lamb to the ruler of the land from Salah by the way of the wilderness to the mountain of the daughters of Zion. Then, like fleeing birds or scattered nestlings, the daughters of Moab will be at the fords of the Arnon. Give us advice. Make a decision. Cast your shadow like night at high noon. Hide the outcast. Do not betray the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer. For the extortioner has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have completely disappeared from the land. Wow, this sounds like a passage I want to look at if I'm dealing with warfare and refugees and and, uh, other principles that might have an application. A throne will even be established in loving kindness. What do you think this is about? (laughs) And a judge will sit on it in faithfulness. In the, in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be mahir, prompt, speedy, ready, skilled. He will be prompt in righteousness. This is Messiah the King, someone that, that is, when he sits on the throne of righteousness, is ready to administer the righteousness of God. He will be prompt in righteousness. Anyway, that's the kind of king you want, isn't it? So, yeah, I think it's it's useful for us if we want to think in terms of speedy, uh, skilled and speedy, because you can be speedy and sloppy, <laughs> okay? You can be, uh, and if you're speedy and sloppy, then you're not particularly skilled, you're just a sluggard. You know, you want to get it done as quick as you can and you couldn't care less how crummy it is. So that's a different kind of speedy. That's not what we're looking at here. Obviously, this is a man that's skilled. This is a man that's so good in what he does that he's, he, that, 
He's coming to the attention of kings. And, and those with a box are hiring him. And those with a box are honoring him. And, uh, and he comes to the attention of those. Okay? And the more obscure man, nothing wrong with being obscure. Nothing wrong at all. I like being obscure. But I know that as an obscure man, I'm not going to be hiring this guy. <laughs> okay? I can't afford him. The king's hiring this guy. If that makes sense. A man's work occupation is a fundamental component of who he is. Skilled workmanship, skilled craftsmanship is introduced in Genesis 2, then featured prominently in Exodus 31 through 40. All right. A man's work occupation is a fundamental component of who he is. Jonah 1.8. It's just natural. It was true in Bible times. It's true today. It's always been true. It'll always be true. It'll be true throughout the tribulation and the millennium. It'll be true for a thousand generations in the new heavens and the new earth. So Jonah's on the boat and the storm is uh, everywhere and the ship's about to sink and the captain and the sailors can't figure out why this Jewish guy is sleeping. How is it that you are sleeping? Get up. Call on your God. Our gods aren't doing anything here. Maybe your God can do something. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so we may learn of whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and lot fell on Jonah. So now they know it's him. And they said to him, tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us? And now notice, what is your occupation? Where do you come from? So the fundamental beings, you know, for any man. What do you do for a living? Where are you from? Okay? I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Why do you ask? Okay, I'm a pastor. Okay? What is your occupation? Whoops. Ooh. I broke it. Does it still work? Nope. All right. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Notice, again, things that define you. What is your country? Are you American? Are you French? Are you Haitian? Are you Mexican? What are, you, are you Afghani? What are you? What is your country and from what people are you? Because a lot of people groups don't have a country. A lot of people groups lost their country and now they roam, now they drift. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened. So, uh-oh, this isn't good. And it goes on. This is, the, this is the story of Jonah. All right. Skilled workmanship, craftsmanship is introduced in Genesis 2, 2 and 3. You ever notice the vocabulary that's used here? God rested and he reflected on his craftsmanship. God was impressed in what he had accomplished. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. This is his workmanship. This is his craftsmanship. For six days, day by day, he accomplished all these things. And on day seven, he stopped to reflect on his own workmanship. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which he had 
created and made. His work and His workmanship. This is what we're dealing with. Okay, And this is fundamentally who we are too as we image God. We should be uh, diligent about our workmanship so that we can give God all the glory. Featured prominently in Exodus 31-40. through 40. And I'm not going to I'm going to run out of time here. Let me just grab these key verses. So there's uh, Bezalel and uh, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Okay, His father, his grandfather, his tribe. This now pinpoints where he belongs. In his family, in his clan, in his tribe. I have filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all kinds of craftsmanship. God is doing this. God is giving him this skill. He's he's working in him to produce this. To make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze. The cutting of stones for settings and the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Okay? Craftsmanship. It comes down to that. Do you see a man skilled in his craftsmanship? His work, his craftsmanship. What is it that, he's, that God has prepared him to do? Because remember, when it comes down to it, we're all God's craftsmanship. Created, we're, we're, we're God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God created beforehand, God designed beforehand. And so just run down through, let me click on that word so that it's going to be highlighted every time you see it here in this chapter. Craftsmanship, craftsmanship. And come back again in verses 14 and 15. You are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. Whoever pursues his craftsmanship on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For in six days craftsmanship or workmanship may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever pursues any craftsmanship on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. This isn't just carrying a pallet from some place home. You know, this is talking about pursuing your career vocational endeavors. That's what this work is all about. And unless you're a pallet delivery person, you know, making money on your pallet deliveries, um, the guy that Jesus healed when Jesus said, pick up your pallet and go home, that's not breaking the Sabbath. Anyway, you get into chapter 35 and there's more. You get into chapter 36 and there's more. These guys are skilled in their craftsmanship. Understand, diligence as a work ethic commands a high price. Diligence as a work ethic commands a high price. I don't know how to put this back in there. Maybe when Dylan comes tonight, he'll... I am not skilled in my craftsmanship. All right. Hey, I fixed it. All right. But do you see a man skilled in his work, speedy in his craftsmanship? The best of workers commands the best of prices. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. They can't afford him. All right. Again, we're not mocking the poor and we're not diminishing the obscure man. They are who they are. 
the prominent men are who they are. I remember Gary Williams was loving the fact that the people he worked for had more money than sense, you know, and they would spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to build this this wooden stuff and and he'd go and he'd get it done and then they'd change their mind and say, no, I wanted something else instead. And they're spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars and Gary would just praising God saying, all right, you know, because it was God's divine provision that he was scoring all those, those contracts and, and doing the work that he was doing. Another verse here in uh, 1 Kings eleven twenty eight. The man Jeroboam was a valiant warrior. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he appointed him over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. Okay? You spot him. Man, that's, I want him on my team. That's, and, and when Saul saw David, he said, oh, I want David on my staff. You know, it's just, you, you observe talent, and if you got the bucks to, to, to lock it down, you don't want him working for your competitor. You want him working for you. Of course, we know how this turns out, because after Solomon dies, uh, Jeroboam takes 10 tribes away from Rehoboam, and, and we end up with a split, with a split, uh, I mean, that's not an accident. Jeroboam was good at what he does. He was a hard worker, industrious. All right. And then there's other, other things that happen there. Slackness has a price to pay. Slackness has a price to pay. Proverbs 18.9. He who is slack in his work this is the guy that maybe he's speedy because he's taking shortcuts. He's, he's, he's just rushing through it and doesn't care what the outcome is. He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. We dealt with that in chapter 18. I got notes on that, I remember. But the idea of being a, a sluggard and the idea of, and how destructive is this? Him who destroys? Put... You know, that's vocabulary where we typically find in angelic conflict con- uh, uh, contexts. When we talk about abaddon the destroyer, right? In any event, brother to him who destroys. So diligence has a work ethic, commands a high price, while slackness has a price to pay. So believers on doctrine, believers that are serving the Lord, believers that view their boss as if he was Jesus Christ himself, doing his work as unto the Lord, being faithful, being on time, being punctual, being trustworthy, being, uh, you know, giving the 110%, those kind of workers are living out God's wisdom. And God rewards that. God rewards that. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. I pray that we learn these principles. I just uh, rejoice, Father, that your word touches upon our Zoe life so frequently and touches upon our Bios life so frequently and help us to to have wisdom in our Bios life decisions based upon the wisdom that we have in our Zoe life before you. I just thank you and I praise you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.